Oh, yeah, we back at it again. Another premium P show. Listen, Internet, thank you to everyone who listened to last week's episode with the one and only Ikram, okay, the founder of Venmo. I mean, this was just like a real entrepreneurial tech episode, talking about growing up in a college dorm, thinking of, 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 of websites to buy, apps to develop, and then finally being able to build something that was almost going to disappear and then sell it to PayPal, who eventually became millionaires from it and then opened new apps. Internets, listen, I always tell you, the Premium P Show is not just one way of podcasting. It's athletes, it's entrepreneurs, it's artists, it's people from all walks of life. And I appreciate, listen, you know whenever I say, check the fuck in, and that's wherever you're listening from. And Internet's been doing that worldwide. It's honestly humbling. You know, Australia, steady on the check-in. Detroit, Tokyo, um, Indonesia. I mean, I keep on saying all these different places, but it's really worldwide, and it's humbling. And what I really enjoy is that this ain't no gossip shit. This is the journey, the ups and downs of people's lives, and people really appreciate that shit, and I appreciate everyone who appreciates that. You know, I do want to say this. Always make sure that if you know an episode that you fuck with, let somebody know about that shit. And the reason why I say that for is because you don't hold in greatness. If something inspired you, like I get a lot of DMs and people are like, yo, this episode inspired me, made me look at life different. Then take that episode and send it to your friend or send it to your cousin or your brother. And it's not because it's the premium P show. It's because if it inspired you, maybe it'll inspire somebody else. You know, I always bring up stuff when I talk about certain tweets that I tweeted because they mean something to me. And the most recent tweet that I want to share with y'all that I tweeted was, here's some things you can't do. So stop stressing out about any of them. You can't co-sign everything or everyone. You can't be friends with everyone. And you can't make everyone happy no matter how hard you try. So let me explain that to you, okay? Let me stop stressing about shit that you can't control. Because you cannot co-sign everything no matter how much you try. I, in this day and age, I feel like some people uh, are eager or, or more easier to co-sign shit. Take your time to do the homework. Take your time to, to, to make sure shit is real. And that could be anything in your life. Doesn't mean, any, you know, you, you don't have to co-sign everything. And to be honest, you can't co-sign everything. It just, it, just, it just can't be like that. Same way you can't be friends with everyone. Same way you can't make everyone happy no matter how hard you try. So what I'm trying to say is at the end of the day, be nothing but yourself. Because people ain't going to ever get... What you, like, if you try to make everyone happy, you'll lose your life. So make yourself happy. Find a balance. You know, success to me could be different from what success is to you. Success to me is seeing my kids smile. But to somebody else, success may be getting an apartment on Park Avenue. Or success may be getting a Bentley for somebody else. It doesn't matter. But whatever success is to each person, find a balance of it. You know, I do want to say this, too. In this game, in this day and age, in anything you succeed in, sometimes people don't celebrate those moments, including myself. And I'm learning to check myself. I'm learning to be a better person every day. I'm not perfect. I'm learning with y'all, Internet. I'm learning how to check myself and be better. You know, when, when, when we celebrate something, we need to, um, you know, take that time because who knows if we have tomorrow. You know, um, 
Speaking about that, you know, it's it's it, it's it's like you know, so many of our lost friends, so many people that we love that you know have 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 you know transferred over, and God has taken over, and they're resting in peace. People like my brother Combat Jack, who I never forget, who I miss every day, who I think of so much, and it's funny I say that because this week's episode is with somebody who was the, the, the catalyst of me really getting on the mic for the Combat Jack show back in 2010. The one and only Torrey. Not Torrey, the rapper, my brother from Coney Island. Torrey, the journalist. D- don't call him white Torrey. Internet. Don't be disrespectful, okay? This is my friend now. And we have a great conversation about his legendary bo- you know, books he made with Prince. He's making a book with Rakim. The, the moments, the, the legendary interview with R. Kelly, you know, just growing up, his father, his sister, you know, what, what inspires him, and more importantly, just who he is as a person. Internets, listen, I already told you, okay, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, tell a friend to tell a friend. Like, Internets, honestly, like, I'm dead serious. I fucking appreciate all the love. But if you really appreciate me, go leave a comment on iTunes. Go subscribe. Go tell a friend to tell a friend. I, I, can't, I can't express how much that means. And all my fellow parents out there, let's continue to be, to be you know, that, that, that driving force in our kid's life. Whether you're a father or a mother. Mothers are so appreciated. We got Mother's Day coming up. I can't wait. I want to do something real special for the mothers. Because mothers are so important. You know, I was at the park the other day with my son, Baby Premium. And I seen a mother crying. And she was with her mother. They look the same, I could tell. And I realized, you know, sometimes like, you know, fathers, us men, aren't really the best. You know, okay, I may be a good father to my kids, but a lot of people aren't. And that name father or dad is is, is bruised and battered. So we need to continue. I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I'm a good dad. I don't care about anybody else. We need to continue to uplift and change that name around, that we're going to be in our kids' life because... I always say presence over presence, and y- y- y'all know. And this shit should never get tiring, whether you have a, f- a kid or you don't. Being in your kid's life, being there for them, will change the trajectory of their life. Will change the moments. You- you've seen that big word I used, right? That's like a $2 word I used. But it will. Being there for them will be the best gift you ever give them. They won't remember all the times that you bought them fucking dolls, okay? They won't remember exact numbers on those. But may they remember those moments that you that 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 you built a doll house for them, or that you've been there. And not everybody, everybody, listen. You may not have kids, but I'm just saying. Look, look. At the end of the day, internet, let's be great. Let's be in our kids' life. And if we're having hard times with the with the mother, shit, hit me up, man. Let's talk. I want to be there for you because I've been through that. I've been through that struggle. I've been locked up. I've been down and out. I've been lost. And I found myself. And then I've been lost again. Internet, this shit, don't ever look at social media and think everybody is official tissue and everything is okay and nobody needs help. Everybody's still trying to figure it out while they're figuring it out. Love to everyone listening. Listen, this week, the one and only Torrey, T-O-U-R-E, MSNBC, author, um, somebody who bowled with fucking Prince, played basketball with Prince. Sat down with R. Kelly and, and, and questioned him to death about his craziness. 
I mean, so much shit. He's got his own podcast now. And and to be honest with you, all my day one Combat Jack Show fans know I went back and forth with Torre, the one who was the catalyst for me getting on the mic on the Combat Jack Show. Internets, before I get this, I just want to say thank you again. Love and blessings. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Thank you for all the love worldwide for the Premium P Show. We will not stop. We will raise the bar in remembrance of my brother, Combat Jack, a.k.a. Reggie Osei. Internets, this week I present to you the one and only, do not call him White Torre, but Torre, T-O-U-R-E, the legendary, honestly, I mean that, the legendary Torre on this week's episode of the Premium Pete Show. Let's get to it. Cheer. Everybody get set, let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up, it's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low. Listen to the show, cause milk said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know. It's the Premium Pete Show. Yes, welcome back to another episode of the Premium Pete Show. Sitting here with a longtime friend. Yes. Man, a, a, a longtime uh, affiliate, a longtime uh, uh, debater with me. Man, we, yes. we, we made, actually, we made history. And what I mean by that is because in 2010, I think that was maybe, mm-hmm. when you came up to the Combat Jack show. Who is it? Who is he talking about? Talk about the one and only Torre. Oh, okay. T O U R E. Thank you. Okay, Torre. Now we can say for those for those who may not know Torre. Okay, my friend, it's my friend Torre. Internet, stop playing. It's my friend Torre, <laughs> writer, TV personality. What else could we call? Podcaster. Podcaster. We we, we have to come up with a couple other things. Though. Author. Author. Come on. Father. Father. Mm-hmm. Husband. Yeah. And uh, entrepreneur. I'm working on that. I'm working on earning that title. Not yet. Mm. I have become increasingly entrepreneurially minded recently, especially, I hate to say it, but because I've been doing a big just personal study of Combat Jack, mm. Breakfast Club, mm. all these sort of, you know, epic interviews and the Dame Dash philosophy as expressed on the Combat Jack mm. show. Classic. And on the Breakfast Club. Classic episodes. It's it's very infectious. Mm-hmm. Be your own boss. Why do people look at him like, <laughs> okay, is it is it the loud person that people don't listen to the message? Oh, I mean, they can miss it if they choose. I heard the message. I mean, you know, Dame's an asshole, like on purpose. That's mm-hmm. a personality business choice. But the message of be relentlessly entrepreneurial mm. and use your money to create more money. And just, I mean, just, you know, this, the, the notion of the mentality, I'm looking at myself like, yo, am I chasing a job when I could be creating an opportunity for myself? Mm. It, 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 it gets infected. It's something to think in, about. It's something to think about. You know what makes me even think about it more is that when you start speaking with people, and, you know, unfortunately, not, not everybody could work for themselves. And there's struggles in entrepreneurship, which make entrepreneurship. But at the same time, people, you know, um, worry so much about a job. And I know that quote, I'm sure you've seen it go around, that will replace you if you die the next day. Sure. They're like, look, you know, look for a replacement for Torre. When you're, uh, through your sickness, are like kind of like, damn, 
I may not be able to make it in, but I got to go into work today. Mm -hmm. So you're willing to almost die for them, so to speak. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. It's a business of what they're doing. Okay. But I like Dame's philosophy. and I think people make fun of this shit that like, yo, I'll create my own popcorn. I'll create, you know, but, and then people will be like, ah, man, I ain't fucking with that popcorn. Like, cause people look for more of a brand name instead of a story behind it from someone who's an independent owner, small business owner. Why, why is that, man? And people will want it for free too. Not even buy it. You know, the Dame philosophy of being the boss, of being entrepreneurial is absolutely growing in terms of where you saw it with Gen Xers versus where you see it with millennials. Mm. They have a lot more agency and a lot more entrepreneurial spirit and creating and solving their own problems, which you see from Facebook, you know, to uh, Black Lives Matter. Mm. You know, we are going to solve our own problems and create our own institutions, you know. Fuck your institutions. Now, now you've been on um, CNBC, um, MSNBC, right? What was it MSNBC? Yeah. CNN? Yeah. Well, you've been on a bunch of... of, of, of uh, BET, BT throughout the years. Yeah. Whenever you bring up Black Lives Matter, yeah. or, or, do, do, do people ever debate you there, like even behind the scenes or... Oh, sure. Behind the scenes, sure. And I yet, mean... So you have to actually stick up for what... Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, no, there's an intellectual diversity at MSNBC to a certain extent. I mean, most people are progressive, but some people would definitely say things like, you know, like, who's going to stand a cop? I heard that. You know, I had to defend that position. You know, I thought that was an absurd idea, mm. you know, but, uh, you know, you encounter that everywhere. You know, you tweeted something the other day, too, about, um, you know, um, Donald Trump mentioned Sleepy Eyes. What's that guy's name? Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd. Shots to Chuck Todd. That's Sleepy Eye, he calls him, right? <sighs> Think about it. He says, I tell my son never to say nothing, or I tell him never to say And you said, so you're telling your son to lie? Yeah, Chuck Todd tweeted that he doesn't allow his children to say negative things about Trump. And, you know... I wouldn't want my children to go around in public and diss Trump to where, you know, especially if I'm, you know, one of the central people at NBC and MSNBC. I mean, he is one of the anchor uh, anchors. You know, he is one of the core personalities, the, the political director. So it would be poor form. Mm. For his children to be going around saying negative things about Trump, which everyone would assume, okay, when Chuck goes home, he disses Trump. That's bad. That's a bad look. So I understand that if he's saying, I don't want my kids out in public dissing Trump. Mm -hmm. But if he's saying, which I kind of thought he was, I don't want my kids saying anything negative about Trump at home, which should be a safe space where... Uh, all sorts of ideas are in play and we can discuss those ideas. Uh, so you're making them be dishonest because you you can't honestly look at this administration and not have many criticisms. Sure. I think even a child would have to see this is not being run in a professional, stable, coherent, mm -hmm. intelligent way. It's dysfunctional. Yeah. It's clearly dysfunctional. So you – don't let your kids at home say the Trump White House looks like a fucking dumpster fire. 
Because it freaking does. And, and unless you say that, you're lying. Do you think you ever get a chance to sit down with Trump? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I met him. I met him. I was tweeting back and forth at him several times in 2013 when I was doing the cycle. Mm-hmm. And he was nobody. And he was just a New York loudmouth. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I started trolling him because I thought it'd be funny. Mm. So I, every once in a while, every couple of months, I'd tweet at him, you know, like, oh, you know, you went bankrupt four times, you know, sucker, you went bankrupt four <laughs> times. And the fourth time I did that, I was really trolling, right? I'm like pegging him like three, four times. The fourth time he responded and I was like, oh, shit. And he was all like, you know, you're racist. We know why no one watches your show. Oh, the we, numbers are down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we all know why you got uh, why you're on MSNBC. And like, well, well, why? I mean, like, no actual reason. So, so, at the correspondence dinner in 2012. No, it wouldn't have been 2012. It would have been 2014, I believe it was. We were both the White House Correspondents Center, which is the most insane party outside of maybe the Met Gala. Mm. I mean, when I say everybody is there, throw some names out there. You've seen that name. It is. It was blinding to remember, as best as I can recall. I mean, this is within inches of each other. Olivia Munn, mm. Bill Belichick, uh, you know, Steve McQueen, the mm. director of 12 Years a Slave, Jeff Goldblum, uh, Senator McCaskill, you know, Senator Schumer, you know, Governor Hickenlooper, uh, you know, Brad Pitt, you know, uh, you know <laughs> I mean, you know, actors, Lindsey Vaughn. You know, here's maybe Ty- – I don't remember seeing Tiger Woods, but I mean like, uh, you know, all sorts of actors, all sorts – Michael J. Fox. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, this is just just – you know, I mean, John Legend and Chrissy, and I mean, like it, everybody's super dressed up, right? You know, Janet Mock, and mm. I mean, you know, and half of them I don't, you know, I don't know the cast of Game of Thrones, sure. but Joy Reid is freaking out over them, you know, and I, you know, I don't watch Peaky Blinders, but you know, uh, uh, Martin Bashir is like, oh my god, like you know, so nice to meet you, and it's just insane. There's Matthew McConaughey, and it's fucking ridiculous. Got me off my train of thought. <laughs> well, you explained about uh, um, when you Donald ever Trump. interviewed Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. So I go to the bathroom, partly because I want to go to the bathroom, partly because I want to maximize my potential to see people because I get starstruck sure, all the sure. time. Really? I'm coming down the stairs, and it's fairly empty, that area, and he's coming down the, the, the facing staircase at the same time. So now it would be awkward for us to not make some sort of acknowledgement of each other because we're like the only two human beings in this space and he totally took control of the moment like we got to like the the flat part at the same time and he totally took control of the moment and like put his arm around me and was like Torre, you're a good guy you're a <laughs> good guy and, and, and all right, and then he goes into the. We walked into the thing together, and then there's a thousand people, and you split up. And I was like, he he like had this like breath of like, 
charisma, like this whoosh, and then like move. I mean, like, granted, I did not know the full extent of what an insane, incoherent racist he mm, is mm. at that point. Clearly. I would not now be all hugging up on yeah, yeah, freaking sure. Mr. Build a Wall. But in that moment, that had, the, the, you know, so that's the most I can say about being close to him. I don't anticipate getting an interview with him because he doesn't do interviews with anybody outside of Fox News. Yeah, he only picks what's good for him. You know, speaking of interviews, for people who may not know of you, I mean, you've done so many um, on TV, on, on, on now on podcasting, but so many. One of them is so legendary, the viral one with R. Kelly. Mm-hmm. You know what's crazy about that? And I would love for you to tell the story. Yeah. Did they not know you were going to ask that question? Because when you ask that question, your question was so perfectly timed, and then your response to his response. Take people through. It's a yes and no. The answer to that is yes and no. Yeah. Um, How'd that happen? Who set that up? BET. Mm-hmm. R. Kelly had just come off of, uh, I believe it was sexual assault mm-hmm. trial, mm-hmm. because it was alleged that the that the that what we saw of him urinating on a woman who looked very, very young turned out to be a woman who was very, very young. Mm-hmm. Um, BET set up an interview where I would talk to him in a Chicago hotel and we would talk about all these sorts of things. And we had to submit our questions. I didn't tell them everything I wanted to ask. And honestly... So much is in the details. And you'll see in this story that one word can make the difference between a good question and a less effective question Mm. or even a bad question. Mm. And in the beginning of the interview, he was kind of being squirrely. And when I was asking him about underage girls, he was kind of driving toward 14 and 13 year olds. And I'm like, it's kind of saying, like, I don't do that. So it's kind of like, I see you trying to evade by going around the group of women I'm clearly talking about. So he had a crisis manager there, right? This some fucking white guy in an expensive suit, whatever, (laughs) older guy. And uh, I say to him, and this was like, you know, the first of a trio of questions that were to really get at, did you do this thing that the prosecutors alleged you did? And I assumed he would say no, but perhaps within the no, we, we would be able to see the real answer. So I say to him, do you like underage girls and his underage girls and his crisis manager jumped up and like no no you can't ask that no stop (laughs) and r kelly says no no i want to answer this the guy says okay great client is happy here we go but this time because i kind of it was kind of rolling around in my head like underage is underage is not specific enough and i said and you can see it on the thing that I kind of say, I start to say, uh, but then I say, do you like uh, teenage girls, which broadened the group, right? Because underage, he can define as he wants, but teenage, sure. After you, get you, past, yeah. you cannot be more specific than teenage. Yeah. And so then that's when he said, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> 
teenage. Like, what? And that's when I was like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'm like, this is question one. This you, is the softball. How did you keep your composure? I, well, well, that was part of the thing, right? This was the softball that was going to get to something a little harder, that was going to get to something that would be like hard S. And not like super hard to where his people were like, yeah, you can't ask that. But so I saw a cat burglar sort of element here or mission here, right? I couldn't let him see that he was hanging himself because he's never going to go, yeah, I like 15-year-old girls, but can we get you to say that without saying that? And when I said, do you like teenage girls? And he said, what do you mean by teenage? I was kind of like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm. And I definitely said to myself, don't let him see that he just said some crazy shit. Mm. I failed in that mission because people came up to me on every block. Yo, your face in the R. Kelly interview. Yo, it was about two years of like every single day somebody said, yo, your face in the R. Kelly interview. And, you know, that week I thought that that was going to get cut out of the interview. So when I finished the interview, which did not end pleasantly, because later on I said, can you promise your fans that this will never happen again? And he said, yes, this interview will never happen again. And like, really? Mm. And so, he left. No, he didn't like leave, but like we finished and we both – like usually you do like an hour-long interview. You shake hands. Maybe, sure, sure. Maybe you hug if you really like went there. But like it was definitely like – like I go my way you go your way because he was not happy with the whole interview and I thought that the core moment was going to get cut out so I went in the bathroom and I fucking freaked out because I'm like you let him get off mm. you you let him get away you're part of the whole fucking apparatus that lets him get away because the core moment will not be in the fucking show how did, how did it wind up staying in there you know I was not in the editing room I was not at that that level at BET. I was one of the top level sure. hosts, but I wasn't so big that I could be in the editing room talking about it. So I just laid back. I didn't say anything. And the episode came out and it was in there. And I remember being at home like, holy shit, they aired it. Oh my God, I can't believe they aired that. And uh, Did he flip out or his team? He flipped out. They called the next day and they said, if you air it again, we'll sue you. Well, and I was able, able to do that? Uh, well, yeah, I was – I mean I was friends with the president, Reggie Hudlin. I was like, dude, what are they going to sue us over? <laughs> On what grounds? <laughs> we aired an interview that he willingly sat for. <laughs> what is the – no, no, no. Excuse me. Re-air because we already aired it. Like why? Plus it's the internet. They already ripped that and it's taken all over the place. Well, it's crazy because, you know, the internet never forgets, but that – interview is not on the internet really that piece that we talked about is on the internet in different ways but the rest of it is lost mm. and i don't know where it is Illuminati? in my house Illuminati. you know let me let me tell you you were able to sit and be around a lot you grew up in in, in brooklyn new york no i grew up in boston Bo- i'll try you grew up in boston yeah and you stayed in the boston for how long until high school uh I threw high school. I left Boston for Atlanta, went to Emory for okay. college. I was there through my junior year, but I was 
disenchanted with with liberal education, and I was sort of searching and asking people, how does a liberal arts education lead to a career? Mm. And nobody could explain that to me. And I was really kind of like, I did three years here. Why do I have to do four? Like, what am I going to learn in the next sure, sure. year that's going to make the difference? People don't like when you ask questions sometimes. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, like, I'm asking an existential sure. question at Emory University. Why are we doing this exercise? And none of the professors, none of the administrators, none of the graduate students who I was friends with were able to say, this is why we do this. And mm. this is why you should finish. And I was, and I was not into doing things that I didn't understand why I was doing them. So I, uh, my man Alvin Glimpf wa- was a New Yorker who was at Emory. He was driving back home. I drove with him to New York. My grandmother lived in New Rochelle, mm-hmm. and I would stay in her place and take the train into the city. And the first night I was in the city. Took the train and somehow landed at what was then called the New Music Cafe, which is at the corner of Canal okay. and West Broadway. Okay. Right, It's been several things, but it's still an event space. That night, I met Greg Tate, Dream Hampton, mm-hmm. and Michelle Indegiocello mm. at Classic. the New Music Cafe, and I was launched into my New York journey. Mm. Now, you grew up with mom and dad? Yeah. What did mom do? Uh, my mom, I mean, she was a homemaker for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know? She's done a bunch of different things uh, since we were living in the house, but she was there for us. How good and bad Me is and my that? sister. How good? So, so it's only you and your sister? Yeah, I have a younger sister. She's, a, she's 16 months. Now I'm forgetting. She's, she's 14. My kids are 16 months apart. We are 14 months apart, my sister and I. How's your relationship with her? Uh, great. She's a dream sister. Um, she's What's a, that mean? She's a doctor. Mm-hmm. She's a chief medical nice. officer of the uh, hotel, uh, the hospital, ho- hotel, hospital in Hoboken, <laughs> New Jersey. Um, she's always there for me. She's She's always happy to try to solve a problem. Kids love her. She just got uh, married last year. You know, I really like her husband a lot. Mm. You know, like I would hang out with him or, you know, and he's in IT. So any medical question you would have, we call her. Any computer question you have, we call him. That solves about 50% of the questions that I have that I can't answer out of my own mind. Um, and you know, she's just rock solid and, you know, she's not ever calling me with her problems. I mean, she has some problems, but she's very stoic because she's as a doctor, she's become, I don't want to say numb, but she doesn't really let much affect her. And, uh, so you know, she's just, I mean, she's just been fantastic. Well, family is, uh, the backbone of everything. Now, what did pops do growing up? Uh, he, you know, he was an accountant, uh, throughout my, throughout my life before I was born. He, uh, he was an advisor to Kevin White. Oh, really? Who's one of the legendary iconic mayors in Boston history was mayor from 
1968 to 84, Dad worked on his campaign and then became an advisor to him for a while. And uh, and he left. The, he was he was his liaison to the black community, uh, Dorchester, Mattapan, Roxbury, and he then became an accountant serving those communities. Um, he had an office in Mattapan Square. Took us to for those who know Boston, you know, took us to Sportsman's Tennis Club in the Hood in Dorchester, and you know, just spent. Much time there. We didn't. We lived in Randolph. For those who know Boston, Boston yeah. Shout out to, we actually have a lot of um, Bostoners. We had a, a bunch of different people on from Boston. Uh, Static Selector, uh, mm-hmm. DJ producer. We had G Spin. You remember G Spin? No. He, he was a program director at um, Power One Hundred Five. Oh, uh, you know, I was just talking to Charlemagne for my show, and he was talking about G Spin. Yeah, now he's um, at uh, UTA, I believe. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, my dad my dad just passed like two weeks ago. Sorry to hear about that. And uh, you know, he he was extremely cool. And did you have a good relation with him growing up? I did. I did. I mean, you know, he was tough on me, mm-hmm. like dads are supposed to be, and you know, he we they were doing corporal punishment at that time mm-hmm. and I got spanked plenty, mm-hmm. but I mean Belt. Like, uh no, he was into the hand. He mm-hmm. was not into the belt. He would To he, the face too? No, no, he never hit me in the face. My parents did not believe in that. He hit me on the butt when I was you little. Did you soap in your mouth? Uh, yes, I cursed in front of one of my aunts once, and I got literal soap in the mouth. What yes. would happen today if that ever happened? I don't know. I don't know. That that is just that you know. It, it's not that it would happen. It's different than what the parenting culture is telling each other. That the parents and the Teachers, administrators are spreading messages, especially when you have young kids that, you know, like, you know, I oh, yeah, shouldn't do corporal punishment and stuff like that. But um, how old was that? Um, he was 86. Mm. And uh, one thing I was getting to was that, you know, he was very cool in the way that he carried himself. He was from the street. He carried a gun when he was 17 <laughs> in Brooklyn. Like he was in a gang. His mother like pulled him out of Boston, out of Brooklyn and took him to Boston to try to like save his sure, life. Sure. Cause she didn't want him to be uh, a gangster. And, um, you know, he, I'm trying to, there's two stories. I want to tell. When I, when we were growing up, you know, he he was very cool. He always drove a Mercedes. He wore a Kango and members-only jackets and, like, leather driving gloves. And his clothes were always tasteful and tailored and fitted and never loud and never baggy. And um, he, he had, his office was very, like, cool with Ernie Barnes mm. paintings on the walls and leather chairs and backgammon and ivory and, you know, browns and beiges and those colors. And, I mean, like, you could have had, like, a, a nightclub event there, like, put in a DJ and would have looked funky. So, I mean, he was the only uh, relationship I had to the word accountant. So sure. growing up, you know, accountant is shorthand for nerdy and dorky, and I never understood what that meant because sure. the only account I ever knew was cool as hell. Sure. But, you know, he, he was great, you know, and... Uh, what were some of your last days with him like? Well, you know, he had dementia. And um, so the last two years, he was really trending downward. I mean, the last three or four years, it's hard to remember having like a really good substantive conversation with him. Uh, but the last two years, he was in care and... 
just you know just just going down in terms of how much he could talk and how lucid he could be you know and look I, my experience is not unique it's just mine and it's recent um and you know i think i want to talk about it i, I mean you know it doesn't leave your mind sure. like you keep thinking about it all the time and i don't i've never sort of broken down and cried but the persistence of the thought of like this thing has happened and or thinking back to the funeral which was really nice. Like I never thought that I would get such a good feeling from a funeral to see him like honored and like, oh my God, the nice things that like his employees had said. I mean, he was a guy who, he wasn't obnoxious like George Jefferson, but that black self-assertive, I'm the boss way. Like he had that and he loved being the boss. And to see like his his employees be like, you know, he was a great boss. He was a great guy. He helped me be a better man. Um, you know, he saw more in me than I saw in myself and helped me get there. It's like, wow. Like, you know, I mean, it's hard to work with sure. somebody for 10 or 20 years and have them walk away being like, you know, you were cool. But sure. I mean, like, you know, it's, uh, you know, it was nice. You know, it, it's, it's something we were speaking about off air. It's about... Um we don't ever really learn how to mourn anybody. Mm. It's not, not like anybody ever prepares, like kind of like, okay, I'm going to take a class on Jesus. learning how I to. Feel like we've had a class. I feel like we've had a class recently, right? Well, yeah. I saw you at Jack's. Yeah. I, I, I was at Gary Harris's funeral because yep. I was close to him, you know, music business veteran sure. who passed away in. Uh, we think in January it was a six day period over which he may have passed away. We don't know. Um, you know, and then and then my dad um, and a bunch of us were at Dominic Trenier's mm-hmm. funeral, uh, you know, a couple months ago. And, you know, he was D'Angelo's manager a long time. I mean, like, it's been a lot lately. I mean, I feel like there was a season in my life when, you know, you're constantly going to parties where everybody's single. And then there was a season in my life in, like, maybe my 30s when I was going to, like, four or five weddings a year. Mm. Wedding season, you know. And then there's a season in my life when a bunch of my guy friends were coming out to me that they had girlfriends on the side. Mm. And now it's, like, the season in my life where I'm going to, like, way more funerals than Mm. I would like to. But I've been to four in the last four or five, six months. Mm. And, uh, you know... I, you know, it, you know, the people who came to my father's funeral who didn't have to, it was so touching to me and it meant so much to me that they did that. Showed me how important it is for us to show up in those moments. Sure. So I'm like, I'm a rider. I'm a go. Mm. What is a memorable moment that you remember with your father? Mm, I mean, you know, he was a competitor. He was a fighter, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, you know, if he was in a fight, a literal fight, a backgammon fight, a tennis fight, like he was just like, just never give up, always clawing, always just, you know, believing in himself. I mean, it never would have occurred to me that self-doubt ever entered his mind. He believed in himself completely every day. I could accomplish anything and not because of listening to some Tony Robbins shit, but like he just was that naturally. I believe in myself, you know, and, and I definitely, uh, imbibe that from him and, you know, believe, you know, I can accomplish anything. And like, you know, I'm, my back is to the wall and I don't know what I'm going to do. And like, you know, I'll be, I'll be 
in a car half hanging off the cliff and I'll be like, I'll figure out a way. Yeah. We'll figure something out. It's important to have that, you know, hey, listen, the presence of a father, the presence of a parent in your life is, is, no. is super impactful. No, he didn't have a father. Really? Right. He didn't grow up with a father. And, you know, my mom always marveled at, like, how he grew up without a father and was able to be a great father. Um, but it definitely didn't escape me that I, if he had lived his life differently... Uh, I would have grown up in the projects and I would be, you know, probably, and I would be a different person. I mean, he came from the projects. So if he was not able to figure out a way out of that, then I would have been in the projects and I I would have been a vastly different person, obviously. Um, And, you know, I thank God and I thank him for giving me the opportunity, the platform, such that I could even be here doing the things that I do. Of course, of course. And, and you know what? We want to take a, a moment and send prayers and blessings up to your father. Thank that you. he rest in peace. Thank you. Um, it obviously is important for us to pay tribute, to love our parents while they're here. Uh, you know what the problem is? Some people forget that uh, as we're getting older, so are they. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to see how impactful he's been on you. Uh, let's take a quick break. Sure. So I, I, I may have to get you a Kleenex. Uh, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Real men cry. I'm not right? crying. I'm not Real men cry. <laughs> I'm not crying. Uh, let's take a quick break. Sitting here with the one and only Tor Ray. Okay. My old friend. Yeah, man. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up? This is Ikram. Uh, I'm the co-founder of Venmo, uh, the founder of Ents, and part of the group Ikram and the Immigrant Groove. And you're listening to the Premium Pete Show. Enjoy. Internet and we're back we're sitting here with my guy, Torre. Yeah, man. Listen, we spoke about your father. Yeah. We spoke about you losing one of your close friends. We spoke about growing up in Boston. Spoke about R. Kelly. You know, and like I was, before the break, I said, listen, your, your parents got to be proud of you. Um, you've done a lot of great things. I'll tell you one thing I wanted to tell you before that I learned from my parents how to get through 60 years amnesia. Hey, <laughs> no, I'm not Pick kidding. Pick and choose your battles. No, but I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm kidding. Like, because it's very easy to get mad at your significant other and then cling to it. And then a month or two months or six months later, you're like, I'm mad about that thing. And you're like, what? And, right? Bringing that cling, up? Right. And like my parents, I saw like they would get mad at each other for something and then they would immediately forget it. Mm-hmm. And it's gone. And it's that same sort of amnesia that athletes had. Like, you miss the last six shots, and you pull up the next one like you're the fucking man. Like, I don't think about it. Sure. I missed before. And that is a big key, if you can do it, uh, to having good relationships. Okay, listen, ma- marriage advice from Torre. Um <laughs> One thing that I, I'm really proud of you that you were able to do is your, your love for Prince. Mm. You were able to write a book about him. Yeah. And... You know, there's so many different stories, but let the internet know about the time you went to his house. Yeah. Played basketball with him. Yeah. Did you, didn't you throw the ball in his face? No. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you, Tori? I wrote a cover story for Icon Magazine when Prince was in the symbol phase. So there was no, there was no sonic way to say the name. Mm. And, uh, and why was that? That was because of lawsuits, right? Like he was having I mean, problems, he wanted to change it. I mean, you could say it was partly because of his of his attempt to get off the label and to screw with the label mm-hmm. and to reclaim the music that comes from him. So this music now belongs to this symbol and not Prince, so you don't own it anymore. Um, 
you know, or an artistic break from the past, sure, sure. you know, somewhere in there. Did that work out for him? Well, I mean, you know, I look at I look at Prince's entire career as one thing, and if we don't like one piece of it, it's not for us to say I don't like that anymore. Like, no, okay. meaning that he get the publishing from the label. Did he, uh, did he ever win that case? He didn't change nothing, I think, right? Ugh, you're asking me to remember some Dan Charnas type. Shout to Dan Charnas. I, I, I don't recall. I don't recall. I, I don't recall the answer to that question right this second. <laughs> freaking eleven o'clock at night. Freaking asking me to do freaking. <laughs> you fuck. Business trivia. I don't remember. Okay, don't worry about it. You're not being interrogated, my friend. No, but um, uh, uh, so I went to Paisley Park with seven or eight other journalists. I I was the only one that had a cover story. Prince was fairly late in his career at this point, so everyone else had an inside story or maybe even a shorter story, a shorter feature. So I needed more than they needed in terms of access, in terms of content. Um, So, you know, after a while, uh, I was one of the last to be escorted up to the conference room where Prince and Larry Graham and one other person, forgive me, I don't remember who, were there. And you were not allowed to take notes during the conversation of any sort. And who who said that? Was there a Prince? Okay, Prince. I mean, I don't remember him actually saying that but but you to- were told you knew yeah. you can't record you can't take you can't you can take notes you can take written notes you can't record mm. was the thing so as he's talking i'm writing notes as fast as i can but he talked fairly fast and he talked in this flowery almost shakespearean kind of way so at times there are words written down that I know I recorded faithfully, and later I'd be like, I have no idea what this means. Because the way he talks and just like, you know, I needed the context. I didn't write down the context. And so some of my notes were worthless and some of them were fruitful. But it didn't answer the question enough of what I needed to have a cover story done. So I said, uh, can I uh, email him some questions? And I wish I had saved the exchange, but this is like 10 computers ago. And I emailed him 10 questions and he emailed back and he used the, the, the letter I instead of, you know, and he used the U instead of all those little princey things. And he didn't answer all the questions. So the ones he answered were meaningful. Sure. And the 10th question was, will you play basketball with me sometime? Because I knew that he had loved playing in high school. And, uh, and to that question, he wrote back, Anytime, brother. And I'm like, well, I mean, <laughs> you said anytime. So when the photographer had his photo shoot, I went with the photographer for the story with a basketball because I didn't want any excuses about, oh, we don't have a ball. Yeah. And and I'm holding the ball and I'm like, what's up? Like you said, anytime. And I'm I'm good at basketball. I am not great, but I am good. I have played throughout my life. I did a lot of playground basketball in Manhattan the first few years I was in New York City. You know, I did obviously a lot growing up. So, I mean, like, I'm you know, I love basketball. Um, and so eventually, you know, I keep ribbing. I'm like, come on, come on, come on. And he finally says to an aide, like, you know, okay, bring me the box of sneakers. And I'm like, holy shit, this is going to happen. 
He's going to pull out the McFlies. You know, and I was totally just like, you know, just shooting at the moon. Like, come on, come on, come on. And then finally the moon was like, okay, I'll play with you. And I'm like, oh, oh shit, I didn't think this was really going to happen. I was just going <laughs> to nag and nag until who knows what happens. And for, so, so he disappears. He fucking disappeared. Like we were all sitting there basically staring at him. And then somehow he like disappeared. And... Then a few minutes later, somebody escorts us around the corner, and there's a stage where he and the band were rehearsing. Mm-hmm. And, like, we were just doing the photo shoot, like, five, ten minutes ago, and now they're, like, rocking out a song. So we come in, and they're doing a song, and it's fucking great. And then he puts down his shit, and he's wearing a black scoop neck top, right, and black bell bottoms. And he takes off the black boots, and there's the box of sneakers, and they've all clearly been worn. And he pulls out these uh, Air Fo- white Air Force Ones with a red swoosh, mm. and he puts them on. Mm. And we're balling. <laughs> and we're playing. Prince guy handle? And there's a, yes, yes, there's a hoop. I think it was like nine feet tall, not ten mm-hmm. feet tall, but like, you Beautiful know. house? I, well, yeah, I, mean, I didn't get escorted through the whole house, but yeah, 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 it's Paisley Park. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, so now we're playing one on one, and if you're just looking at him and not looking at the basket, he looks like a player. Mm-hmm. He looks completely comfortable through the legs, around the back, doing his thing. He's got this, you know, he's got the posture, he's got the moves. And now look, you got to shoot all the time to be a good shot. Sure, it's not like riding a bike, you know. So I mean. Both of us were clanking a bunch, right? We're taking jumpers and fucking missing. But his form on the J looked good. He's not a lo- he's not Lonzo Ball. He looks fucking good. Sure. Um, that was a shot. Yeah, okay. I heard it. <laughs> 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 he didn't say nothing. No, no, I, I uh, So, so um, eventually, you know, after like 15 or 20 minutes, it's still like 3 to 3 or 4 to 4 or something. We're not really getting anywhere. So we pull in. Anybody ref in this or you just. No, no need for a ref. No, nobody's calling a foul. Photographer taking pictures of this? No, he said no pictures. I'm fucking fucking kidding me. So um, I keep like running off to the corner when I can to write little notes so I can remember little things that are said and things that he's doing. And he then brings the photographer and his bassist. Uh, Morris into the game and Morris is like 6'6 six, six or something photographer you know normal white boy and so the two of them are on a team and Prince and I are on a team mm. so now the two on two game starts to get more interesting and these these are good teams and we're going back and forth and Prince loves you know for me to pass the ball to him and let him freaking go to the hoop right and lay it up or whatever so I'm obliging him and you know I grew up watching magic johnson sure you know and doing his thing like you know we put some jazz sure, on it sure. you, know, I'm, you, know, di- you know how to dish it out i know how to dish it out like look if i go out with the guys i'm like let me bring it up i'm gonna make an ill pass so you are set up to shoot or lay up or whatever and i can i can make dope passes all day long right bounce whatever no look so i'm looking at prince and i'm like yo he's mad open he doesn't even realize how open he is no look pass right to Prince right away, right straight up pass right mm. chest pass. Mm. He doesn't know it's coming. So now I'm like, fuck the ball's gonna hit him in the fucking face and it's gonna be an international incident. Fuck. So I yell out, Prince, 
But you're not supposed to say print. Well, who no said this? Fucking, who said you're not supposed to? I don't even to... remember who told me not to say it, but we knew from before we entered that you don't say it, or who knows what could happen. And, like, it's like you say print, and you get thrown out immediately. Like, who knows? It, it was definitely, like, who knows what the penalty would be, but, like, it was, like, it would be the worst, weirdest thing ever. So I yell out Prince, but then I realize mid-word, I'm not supposed to. So it comes out more like, and the ball is going at him, and it flies past him. It misses his face, and it goes out of bounds. And I'm like, okay, I didn't freaking hit the guy in the face. And he, as a good brother, runs off and gets the ball and brings it back. And as he's bringing it back, he's laughing. And I'm like, yo, what's so funny? And he goes, you didn't know what to call me. And he loved that, that we we're all like off balance about like, what do we call this guy? And uh, we ended up winning a game mm. and it was dope and there's no pictures of it. Mm. You know, you, you never seen him again after that, right? Um, I saw him again after that. I saw him with uh, Manuela, his last wife, his third wife. Uh, second wife, last, at B.B. Uh, King's. Mm. Um, there was some performance. I don't know what it was. My wife was and is really good friends with her. Mm. So the initial connection was Manuela saying, oh, there's my girl. And like, come on in, pass the ropes. And, you know, he's like, of course I know you. Of course I know who you are. Of course I know yeah, you. Yeah. So, so it was like, you know, the wives go there, the husbands go there. And we talked for about five minutes and – it was normal. I don't really remember anything from it because it just felt it was no weirdness. It was just, how you doing? How's it going? You know, I mean, you don't, you know, you're not going to be like, so what are you working on next? Sure, you sure. know, but I mean, like for whatever it was, it just felt normal and natural and short check in and we were out. And that was the last time I saw him. In, in your mind, did you ever think that we would lose him? No. No. Did I mean, you think that no, he had I mean, a problem or not that I knew of. Yeah. You know, the folks I talked to said that he did not do uh drugs just, you know, philosophically. So, I mean, the story was a bit of a surprise to me. You know, my reporting did not uh, uh did not max, mix, mix up match up with what uh, ended up happening. I remember when you on uh when you came on Combat Jack show, maybe the second time. The, the, That's right. I was on Combat Jack twice. Twice, yeah, yeah. Two-time returning champ. But, uh, you know, um, you were mentioning that some girls that you reported were saying that Prince wasn't good in bed. Do you remember that? No, I didn't say that. Okay. Well. I didn't say that. No, I talked to uh, a couple of women who, several women who he has been with. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. And no, no, they, High marks. I mean, you know, part of what they said was uh, that he really pays attention to the environment and the atmosphere. The reason why the reason why I asked you that for is yeah. because I've always looked at Prince as being like one of those guys that had a jungle in his room, yeah. and he had like a swing with the yeah. penis on it. And yeah, like, you know what I mean. Yeah, like it's just like some Caligula type weird yeah. type stuff. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, this guy's the man, man. Yeah, and. Yeah, man. It's uh, so okay. Glad to glad to straighten that up. Listen, you know it, it's it's amazing to hear these stories of different people. I always look at it like, oh, you're a kid from Boston that was in Prince's house playing basketball basketball with him. I know you may say, but I don't look at it like that but, because I always expected big things for myself mm. because my parents always expected big things from me, and not just from me, my sister as well. Mm. So you know, I never looked at it like. 
wow, I came from a small town. It's always like, we're going there. Like, we're going to New York City. We're going to do big things. You know, I, I, I can't even see anything else. Mm. Now, you joined the podcast industry. Yeah. The Torre Show. It's Torre Show. Okay. Not like the. It. Okay, Torre Show. Okay. Yes. Okay. I like the, I think it has a little more poetic energy. Now, what could I call people... back to Chappelle's show a little bit. Not that okay. I'm doing Chappelle's show, but just grammatically, he cut out the the. I like cutting out the the. Yeah, you need the roots to do the uh, intro right there. Chappelle's <laughs> show. Can you do a Torrey show? Uh, I'm, I'm working on somebody Questy? To, Questy? I'm working on somebody ill that give me a little something for the top. Now, you've seen the podcast game. Um, yeah. Now, you um, have strapped up the gloves. Yeah. Got in the batting cage. Yeah. And ready to hit. What, what, what could people expect listening to the Torrey show? I'm doing hour-long one-on-ones with extraordinary people mm. trying to get at what is it that you do so well and what do you know that we should know and how can we be more like you if we want to be a singer or an entertainer or an entrepreneur or whatever. Um or a writer, or, you know, I'm trying to talk to really brilliant, awesome people about how to be awesome. And just sort of, we've had so many great guests. We've had Zadie Smith. Mm. Um, hold on, let me. Talk to me. Talk to me. Uh, just did Tony Braxton oh, nice. today. Um, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, haven't, nice. Haven't nice. aired that one yet. Um, who else have I had? You know, I did an amazing one with uh, Spike Lee, an amazing one with uh, Susanna Melvoin. Oh, nice. Who was Prince's fiance. Really? Before his uh, first wife. Um, they did not obviously get married. We've had Puffy. We've had Joy Reid, mm. RZA. Talk about it. Talk about Kendrick it. Kendrick Lamar. Woo! You know, Maxwell. Nikki Giovanni. I love Maxwell, man. Kehinde Wiley, Black Thought. Did an episode with Rakim, Patrice Colors. Now, speaking Seals. of Rakim, you, you just did one with Jussie Smollett from Empire. You, you I'm just trying to find awesome people and talk to them about how they are fucking kicking ass and what we. So, I mean, like, I think a lot of times, like, you talk to Tony Braxton. Like, if I talked to her for Rolling Stone, I wouldn't be like, how do you sing? Mm. That's what I want to get at in this. How do you sing? Where do you sing from in your body? How did you get to be such a good singer? When you did this song, how did you do that? What did you do? I mean, she does a lot of this songs on one take. She she said, I think, Unbreak My Heart was 90 minutes at David Foster's mm. house. Mm. 90 minutes? Three takes? You kidding me? Now, let me actually, let me turn the tables on you. What makes a good interviewer in your mind? Oh, man. Good writer, good interviewer. Um, I mean, good interviewer, so many things. And uh, Jack embodied a lot of the mm -hmm. things that he was a great interviewer. Um, really listening to the guests, sure. having a conversation with the guest. I don't like it when I see people wrote out 10 questions and then you ask those 10 questions in order. You're not listening yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, it's all in the follow-ups more than the question. Because the mm -hmm. question, a lot of times, we're still wearing the mask. With the follow-ups, I can get even deeper. So a lot of times, I don't think about it as, what exact wordsmithing do I need to do to get to the question about your dad? I might just write down on my pad, dad. 
Yeah. And I know that's a question cluster. Sure, sure. So I'm going to ask you a, an initial question about your dad. And then I'm going to listen and follow up within that and follow up within that. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'm going to listen. I like short, direct questions. I really believe in that, like, concrete questions. Sometimes, and I think earlier in my career and some other folks will ask more flowery questions that go on that maybe three, four sentences and they may include some vague element. And I myself, I'm going, I don't know what he, she wants the, him to talk about there. And like the short, direct question is really, really powerful. Mm. Um, I just did an amazing episode that you'll hear in a couple of weeks with Charlemagne. Mm-hmm. And he's a great interviewer sure, and sure. a great him. talker. And one of the things he talked about was ask why, which Larry King had told him. Mm. Just ask why. And a lot of times just the why question is so sharp and powerful. I try to avoid feeling questions because I think that they're squishy and there's not a lot for us to learn with. How did you feel when this happened? But why did you do that? Or how did you do that? can be really instructive for the listeners. Mm, I agree. I agree. You know, I think uh, a lot of people, like, for instance, when you when you interview somebody, just from my years of experience, people, uh, you know, will ask a question and then the, the guest will answer, but you got to ask how, why, what, where. Because people will be like, you know, oh, it was just a bad day for me. What happened? And I feel like some people have great stories sometimes they don't know how to tell them mm-hmm. sometimes you got to guide them through see somebody like you give you the ball you go right to the end zone 72 yard touchdown well sure i mean i eat i mean a couple of jukes i mean i've been doing this couple for, of that in, uh, for a minute but you know one of the things that interviewers can look at is silence mm. silence is a really valuable question mm. sometimes you ask a question and the person might evade they might not want to talk about it what have you and you're silent, and most people will fill in the space, mm. or or the interviewer doesn't take away the the onus to discuss what we. I was in Jay Z's office doing a cover story for Rolling Stone when he was the president of Def Jam, mm-hmm. and his nephew had passed away about six months earlier. I think he was 19, 18, 19, and Jay had given him a car, and he drove off the road mm-hmm. and passed away in that in a car accident, in a car that Jay-Z gave him. So he felt very guilty about it. But as a journalist, it was incumbent on me to ask him about it. I can't force him to answer, but I have to ask him the question and let him say, I, know, I can't talk about it, I don't want to talk about it, whatever. It's not on me to say, I'm not going to ask him that. So I remember asking him and I, but I'm, you know, he's a human being, you know, I've interviewed him many times. So there's definitely a professional relationship and a lot of respect. So I asked him, can we talk about your nephew passing? And he said, no, no, no. Okay. A little. And then he, and I didn't say anything. And that even that those nose I truncated a lot. That that little bit I said may have lasted thirty to sixty seconds because he was really like trying to not talk about it, and I didn't say anything. Mm. And 
he talked himself into talking about it. And he conceded to talk about it a little bit. And then he talked about it a lot. And he was very open and heartfelt and let out some of his pain. And we moved on. I didn't ask him. I don't think I asked him a follow-up question because I thought it was too, sure, sure. It's too much. But the silence. Mm. Silence is key. If I jumped in to save him from my question, he wouldn't have answered it. Don't be afraid as an interviewer to allow some silence and make the person answer your question. Mm. I'll tell you one thing, man. You know, there's so many different journeys that people take. And I know, do you ever celebrate any of these journeys? I know you're like, oh, I expect to do well. My parents raised me this way. Have you celebrated any of your accomplishments? Um, I mean, sure. I mean, mean, do you buy yourself something? You're popping champagne. You're going for a steak dinner or a Chilean sea bass. How do you celebrate your victories? That's a a good question. I mean, I don't know that I've, I don't know that I've done much outwardly. And I think akin to an athlete, I try to keep looking at the future Mm -hmm. because that's what really matters. And I always want my biggest victory to be in the future Mm because if the biggest victory is in the past, then like, what are you doing? So, I mean, like I have some plans and dreams and goals that will, uh, you know, if properly executed, will outstrip even the things that I'm trying to build today, you know, much less the things that I built earlier um, and the accomplishments I did earlier. But I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, I know that being a hip hop journalist in the 90s was a thing. Mm. Not so much anymore? No, I don't. I mean, maybe I, I maybe, you know, y'all can tweet at me and tell me that I am, I, I don't know, but I don't see a community of writers that are doing it, you know, on a major level like we had in the 90s. That's no shots to any of the folks who are doing it. There are some here and there who are doing excellent work, but there was a community of us in the 90s, the 80s and the 90s, for me, the 90s, uh, that were doing some really interesting work on the culture in Rolling Stone and Spin and Vibe and The Source. So it was a, you know, and then later XXL. So it was a fairly small community, a small number of outlets that all mattered, the Village Voice as well. And, you know, and I'm talking about an esteemed group of people and, you know, from the older generation, you know, Greg Tate, Nelson George, Harry Allen, you know, from my generation, Scott Polson Bryant, Dream Hampton, um, Bones Malone. Mm. Oh, my God. Um, so much of this his work was incredible. A um, couple other folks, you know, Cheo Coker, a little younger than, than me, just a teeny bit. Um, I can look at that esteemed group and feel very comfortable that I have to be one of the highest names in that group. Sure, sure. And I don't want to diss anybody, but I feel very comfortable putting my stats and my resume on the table in that room. And I have great respect for all those folks that I named, Joan Morgan as well, um, 
and some folks whose names are not coming to me at this second, but that's no disrespect. Um, but to feel like this is a really august, small community of people who I really respect and a lot of others really respect. And I feel like, you know, every once in a while I can just pull it out of the back of my mind and be like, yo, I put it down with that mm. group and mm. people recognize and, you know, I feel good about the resume that I put together. And, um, I mean, you know, look, you know, I put a lot of effort and energy into doing profiles of hip-hop people who I loved, who I cared about. Um, you know, and it mattered to me to do really thoughtful, insightful, complex profiles because I knew I was just one part of a media community that was trying to give more complex visions of black people mm. at a time when that was not always happening. So, And I was doing that mostly through the profile. <clears throat> and to have somebody like Robert Criscow, who was one of the absolutely most esteemed music writers and editors in the entire freaking game, to say that I was the best at doing profiles in my generation. That is such a massive compliment. Sure, sure. Big cosign. So, I mean, like, I might be at home late at night, you know, with the J watching popcorn time, and I might take that memory out of, you know, out of the glass case in the back. Sure, and just enjoy and be it. be like, yeah, I, f I crushed that, you know, and then put it back and get back to work. Do you uh, speak to Piers Morgan anymore? No, I don't speak the to Piers. Guy, we were not friends. I don't really. You had have a lot of debates with that guy. No, I won. It was just one. It was just one. We. I. Well, even <coughs> didn't on Twitter. I, you I had called him out on Twitter. I. I mean, <clears throat> he had done a really shitty interview with George Zimmerman's brother, mm. in which Piers was basically allowing George Zimmerman's brother to shape the jury, the early jury jury pools. Uh, perception, uh, you know, a very weak interview that showed that he had no understanding of this case or of sure. American culture and certainly not of race. And um, I called him out on Twitter. I wasn't trolling him. I just added him, you know, just I'm just take, keeping it real. Sure, sure. And, you know, it wasn't it was. Yeah, it wasn't 280 then. It was back in my day, tweets had to be 140 characters. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and, you know, so you might have had to buzz out a couple to make a whole point sure, sure. and 140. Yeah, but I wasn't trolling him, and he caught it and started talking his shit and watched come on the show and talk about it. And I'm like, I got no problem with that. And, you know, come on the show and tell you to your face that you fucked that up. Mm. And uh, we went. Any restrictions from the uh, programmers of that? Did they say you didn't want? They didn't want you to say anything, a certain type of words, a certain type of. Anything? No, no, they didn't tell me anything. I mean, I was a guest on mm. CNN. They're not going to tell me anything. I mean, I've been a guest on CNN many times. They don't tell you what what to not say. Yeah. No, I'm just asking. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and you know, he he made. I sat in the chair and he made me wait like ten, fifteen minutes, and I was getting really pissed off. Like, why are you making me wait, dog? Like, you knew the time frame for this, like. What the and it might have been a legitimate holdup, or he might have been dicking around with me, or he might have been making me sit there longer that I would get madder, and we might have better sure, television. Sure, sure. I, don't, I don't know what it was. But, um, you know, I felt like I gave it to him pretty good. People still bring it up. Mm -hmm. People come to me on the streets sometimes. Yo, you said it on that British guy. What was his name? My word. 
Fuck Piers Morgan. I don't even remember. What's your dream name? interview as we wrap this episode up? Um, I mean, my dream interview. I mean, you know, you know, I'd love to talk to you know Barack Obama. Mm. Love to talk to. Oprah. Surprised you didn't get a chance to do that uh, while he was in office. I mean, you know, uh, still coming. The sure. opportunity's still out there. You know, I'd love to talk to Oprah. Um, you know, Oprah Barack. That's good enough for me. You know, love What's to up talk with- to Beyonce again. Okay. You okay. know, love to get another shot with Jay Z. I mean, you know, there's a lot of dream interviews. I mean, like you know, I'm dying to talk to Jay Electronica. Mm-mm, What's up with Jay Lack? That's the homie. If you are, but he don't want to talk. To me, talk to me. Call I was me. with him in Philly a month ago. You know, he's a good dude, but he doesn't. You know. You know, here's the thing. People look at somebody and all they want is music. And as they should, they're fans. But, um, you know, something, that that See, brother wants to do it his way. And whether that's right or wrong, I know it's crazy, but that's his opinion. See, what I, and I'm fine with that. You know, I mean, what I'm trying to create with the show I'm doing now is partly for the historical record sure. of we understand how these great people accomplish sure. their shit. Create a library. Yes. And, and so, so far, you already have done that. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't really care that Jay Electronica hasn't released an album and we've been waiting for it for 12 years. I don't really care whatever he's doing in England. I care about can we get a an in-depth conversation about how this master MC approaches hip-hop? Mm, mm. The unicorn. How do you rap? How do you write? How do you deliver? What is a great rhyme? How do you know it's done? You know, how did you write Exhibit C? What were you going through? What were you thinking about? You know, where did it come together? These sort of things that, you know, in 10, 20, 30 years, you know, more than that, people want, you know, who is that extraordinary person? How did they get down? Like, well, this guy, Torre, I don't know who he is, but he did an interview with them too. It becomes a library. And I think that all these podcasts out there, that are quality, that have good guests, that have good content, create a library. Look, my show, like the Combat Jack show, mm-hmm. is meant to be an evergreen. Sure. I interviewed Riza maybe a year ago. You could listen to it right now. Sure. It's still super relevant. Sure. You know, I interviewed Maxwell six months ago. still super relevant. Mm. You know, I just put out Jesse Smollett and Amanda Seals. In six months, those will still be relevant. Mm. You know, I think about what Combat Jack did. I think about what Tim Ferriss does. And creating these shows, uh, creating these shows that, that have a shelf life. Mm. Because we're not talking about what you did yesterday. We're talking about who you are in your journey sure, through sure. life. So you can listen to these shows years from now, and they still have this relevance. Uh, what's the, When you think about it, right, and you say after it's all done, and you sit back one day, and you, 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 you look upon everything, what's the legacy that you want to leave behind? I want to have done right by black people through mm-hmm. my media projects. Mm-hmm. I want to have added some complexity, some dignity, the sense of intelligence— to us. I mean, a lot of my interviews I go into assuming that the person is intelligent, even when many, many other people suggested they weren't. I did an interview once when I was at Fuse with Plies. Mm. And I remember the day before the interview, I put out on Twitter, you know, if you have a question you want me to ask Plies, let me know. And like, 
serious questions only. I didn't want to wade through all the tweets sure, with sure. your fucking joke questions for plies. I'm trying to do something here. And a bunch of people mocked me around the idea of a serious question for plies because they see nothing in him. They think sure, he's stupid. Sure, sure. We had an awesome interview and one of the great moments uh, he and I don't and when I say the great moments, I'm not patting myself on the back. Sure, I don't sure, have no, a great I, so I, I don't have a great interview unless he is great. Sure, sure. Uh, I'm just giving him the platform to be great. Sure. And he had gone on stage and said that he was going to point at some girl in the audience said he was going to give her a college scholarship. Mm. And I said, did you really do that? And he said, yeah, I did. No, I really paid for her to go to college. And like, why did you do that? And he said he had been around his grandmother and sort of showing off his wealth or what have you. And she was like, that's nothing. What have you done for other people? Mm. And so out of the conversation with her, he decided to put somebody through college so that she would feel like he was using his money in a righteous way. And it was like, that was so dope. Paying it forward, man. Yeah, but it was like, you know, it's like it's deeper than just some flossy throw-off, you know, I made it rain on this girl sure, and gave sure, her 80000 sure. so she'd go to fam. Uh, you know, it was like, no, like, my relationship with my grandmother I mean, like, how many rappers are out here talking about their grandmother mm, mm. and their relationship with their grandmother? It goes grandmother? to show you how important those parents are. Yeah. How important of an impact they are. I mean, I mean you know, just the, the adding a sense of seriousness, intelligence, complexity, depth to how people see black people. Mm. You know, on my show, I'm focusing on talking to black people and I'm going to talk to white people where they have a specific thing to say that is relevant to black sure, culture. Sure, sure. So Susanna Melvoin wants to come on and talk about, you know, dating Prince and almost marrying him. Okay. You know, I'm going to have Naomi Klein on to talk about what's going on in Puerto Rico mm. and disaster capitalism. So you're talking about something that matters to us in our community. Sure, sure, sure. But for the most part, on this show, on MSNBC, on other things, I've tried to show myself and other black people in a more complex, intelligent uh, light, you know. And, and I mean, there are times when I was like, I could make a stupid joke and I'm like, I'm not gonna. Yeah. Because I don't want to be part of that because I want to be seen in a way that is showing respect uh, for myself and the culture. Sure. Are you better on Twitter now? I know some, sometimes you go away for a couple months. I say, where the fuck is my friend Torrey? <laughs> you have a love-hate relationship I think, with Twitter? I, I think you're just following too many people so you don't see all my shit. No, I follow. I, I tweet a lot. It's a really important, has been months valuable part of my life. I mean, here and there, but not really that much since I started on Twitter. I mean, I remember my first tweet and... It's amazing how it is part of our lives. I, you know, I am a little down on it as a general community now. There used to be a, I'm talking three, four, five years ago, there was a much stronger, more tangible sense of community on Twitter. Mm. I felt I had Twitter friends. I felt that I enjoyed the conversations. I remember some nights coming home and I'm planning to watch a TV show and 
and something happens on Twitter and people are responding to it and I couldn't even get to my TV show sure, sure. because that I mean I remember I think it was what Rain of April was doing mm-hmm. the struggle chicken thing it was so funny it freaking blew me away <laughs> and I was just sitting there all night reading through the street the you know the shit that she was saying dissing this other girl and people responding and you know I remember came home one night and they were talking about the NAACP awards and I would not I wouldn't have watched it that night, but I started watching it with the laptop on my lap, and suddenly I'm watching it with like a hundred people who are making jokes and comments and whatever, and it's fun. Mm. And those sort of monocultural moments, those big moments, can happen around the Super Bowl and the NBA Finals and the Oscars, but outside of big mass events like that. It's hard for Twitter now to have that happen. Mm. You think it's because it's saturated? I don't know about saturated. I I don't know quite what's wrong. I'm not sure. What's I love wrong. Instagram, but I but but I love Twitter the most. I do. I love it from day one. I love and, and you're right. I can understand some of what you're saying, but I met so many people. I mean, even like you know, I was talking to one of our old co-hosts, the DJ uh, Ben Hameen. And he met a guy on Twitter years ago, and they went down, and now they write for the American Gods. He wrote like the first, he wrote one season over there, and now I think he's doing some other freelancing. But think about that shit. Like you can sit there and be like, oh, we met on Twitter, and then we wrote for the American Gods. So weird how shit happens like that. Yeah. You know, and that I think is, you know, think about it. You, I mean, you went, I don't even want to get into this, you know, we'll be here for days. But you, you were like the original social media back in the day for like Black Planet. Right? I was, I was I, yes, your, yes, blackplanet.com yeah, yes. was at people's houses. Yes, yes. You know what I mean? Think about it. Meeting up and networking. And this is the ultimate network. And, and I get it. I mean, look, Twitter's. you know, when I first realized what it was, I'm like, yo, this is a writing game. Mm. I'm a writer, dog. Mm. I'm going to be good at this. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yo, I can rock this. It took me a while. To really get my Instagram groove and to understand mm. how I can use pictures and text to have a dope feed, and sure, I'm still sure. finding my Instagram voice. And you learn every day, you know. And I, you know, I found a Snapchat voice, and then I feel like the 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 app left me that it wasn't as pop. It was super popular, and then suddenly it wasn't that popular. And I'm like, why am I doing all this work and crazy fucking movies, and no one's fucking watching? Sure, sure. But the Twitter, I always, I always felt. Like, I got my Twitter voice. I know how to rock it. Now, not to say, you know, I've made mistakes. True. A lot of us have, and I've learned from those mistakes. You have admitted a lot. I mean, you have admitted a lot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and, I, and I've learned a lot. And, it, you know, it's interesting because somebody, a writing teacher once said, don't strive to be understood. Strive to not be misunderstood, mm, which mm. is a higher burden Gems. of being, you know, of, of, of creating comprehension in the other person, right? And so then if you're doing, you know, if you're trying to be understood, then I would write a sentence that I get. But when I'm trying to not be misunderstood, I have to see how could this be misconstrued? How could somebody else who's smart, who's dumb, who doesn't know anything about my culture, who knows more about my culture than me, how might they misread this and then run with their own interpretation? And how can I write words that or eliminate words that guard against that? Mm, mm. Um, And it's been, you know, it's sometimes annoying on Twitter, but it has been a great writing teacher in that way to, to try to think about how might one word choice make a huge difference. Mm. 
Um, you know, man, Torre is in the build. I'll tell you one thing. I will say this. Um, combat is definitely uh, looking down at us, yes. saying, look at you fucks. Yeah. You know, in, in a room, having an intelligent conversation. Salute to combat. Not, not, not arguing with each other. Oh, man. You know, not, not, and, and, and you think about it. It's like, it's, it's really just a tribute to him. Yo, I was nervous the first time I walked oh, in PNC one, to yeah. the first time I did Combat Jack because I was scared of Dallas. Yeah, I thought Dallas was going to diss me. <laughs> I didn't want it with Dallas. I'm like, I'm an author. I'm pushing a book. I don't need the beef. Uh, and, and he was like, I'm like, Jack, uh, Reggie, I'm going to call him Reggie. Reggie, don't, don't have me come up there. For the bullshit, like I can't with Dallas. Like I read the shit he writes about me, I can't do it. Like I don't. <laughs> What's need that tweet to... that he wrote about you one time? And he, he said, uh, "What was it?" He said, uh, "I distore like I'm brushing my teeth, or I get up in the morning and distore and brush my teeth, and that's so like keep morning. it white." Yeah. yeah. So yeah, to keep it. I'm, I'm like I don't even understand the dis, <laughs> you know. And it's like has like ten thousand retweets. The <laughs> community's loving it. I'm like I don't even understand the joke. Like, what the fuck is going on? Why are you dissing me? I Did I diss you? Like, what happened? And I remember when Jack asked him, what's your real reason for disliking Torrey? He didn't really have yeah, anything yeah. to say. And, uh, you know, I can see that some people may not like me, but I'm, just tell me why and we can deal with it. He didn't, But I was scared. But it was also like, there's so many people in this room. There's so many dudes in this room. There's this energy. You're like, oh, my God. And it's funny because I settled in. And I'm having a great conversation with Reggie, and I'm watching Dallas, and I'm like, nah, okay, okay, I get the vibe, Dallas is going to be cool, whatever, whatever. And he was actually really kind of being funny. Yeah, yeah. So he was like, I'm not going to hurt you. And then you came out your face yeah, 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 and started saying crazy ass shit, <laughs> and we get into a fight. So the second time I came on... Oh, you, 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 I came you, loaded you, you, for a bear. Oh, yeah, yeah. We had, but I listened to that episode the other day. Interest, yeah. if you never heard it, the I think it's maybe the Return of Com, Return of Torrey on Combat Jack show. Yeah, I think so. Check it out. On I, I pre-wrote like four or five disses. Yeah. So I was like, I'm gonna bust out these two or three at the top. So I just like I walked in the room and like bam, 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 yeah. and then you're like, oh, I'm stunned. He's punching me in the face and like, yeah, motherfucker, what's good? And, you know, and I, and I got these other two in reserve in case he fires some shots back. Then I'm gonna come out with da da da, and he's gonna be like, oh, I can't talk anymore. So I was like, I'm I'm ready, and uh, but you were in a much more agreeable yes. or peaceful mode. So I came out and like bam, 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 came like, out the gate, three punches to the face, and you were like. Okay, that's cool. Let's yeah. let's keep it moving. I'm like, oh, good. He doesn't want to fight. All right, let's talk. <laughs> well, I tell you one thing. That to me was, um, you know, radio gold. You don't hear that many people. And one thing I always say, combat was inspired by Star. Yes. Um, combat was inspired by Howard Stern. Yes. And he literally created his cast of fucking, you know, fucking fuckies, man. You know, How did he get all you. None of you guys were getting paid, right? And early, well, we did get paid later on. You know, everyone got different types of money. You know what I mean? But for years, but you for were years, sitting no, we're there no for money. nothing. Bro, I say this. Let me tell you something. We went down to A three C. This maybe been two thousand twelve. In two years, or maybe two thousand thirteen. Okay, three years of doing the Combat Jack show, and I and I shit you not, we became like semi famous. Yeah. Okay. Internet loved us. They wanted more. They never seen something like this so crazy. We were down there. We were doing an interview and Combat and Dallas and me were on mic and Combat was autographing a, a A3C 
uh, pamphlet that they wanted us to autograph, pass it to Dallas, and then pass it to me. So we autographed about 200 pamphlets while we're on there, not making $1. But why, <clears throat> why, or better, how did Jack get you to come out and be part of his thing when you didn't talk that much most of the time yeah. and you didn't get paid? Um, I believed in it. You I believed be- in the show. I believed in it, man. I knew it could be something special. I knew there was something special there. You know, it, it, it felt like, you know, to be honest with you, it felt like after school. Right. And I was like, fuck, I don't want to go home. So it was fun. It, it was more than fun. You- it, was just, it, it was what I grew up on, too. You know, MOPs in there, EPMDs in there. You're hearing all these stories. But keep in mind, too. The podcast game was different at that time. Now, let me give credit to Rosenberg and Cypher Sounds. They did do one Epstein, and they did do a great job. But we came very, you know, a different level. We had a lot of more personalities, a lot of more barbershop, a lot of more, I feel, radio gold. No disrespect. But the the, the point I'm making is, is, is you know, um, we, we still were trying to figure it out while we're on the move. But you've got to keep in mind, when we call up a Chuck D., or an LL Cool J, and you say, like, yo, we want you to come on a podcast. They don't even know what the fuck a podcast is. Right. Now you call LL, he's like, yeah, like 79 people already asked me. Right. Yeah. right. So it was like they were interested, and they come there, and it's like you sit on this couch, or you sit down, and you get so comfortable, and you get these fucking stories that you never heard before. Right. And back to your question, I was mesmerized. I was like, yo, this is... And combat slowly but shortly gave me a chance. You know, I eventually became... You know, when everybody left, it was just me and him for years. Right. And, uh, you know, he gave me, like, that's the thing, too. He gave me as much time as I wanted. But he was so sure. good at it, I wasn't trying to let people know I was just there. I always wanted to be the betterment of the show. I sure. always, you know, and I, and. No, I mean, I can tell that some episodes you lay back, and then some episodes, it's clear you have a certain affinity for the group. It's not like you're asking a forced question, but you're like, so on your second album, the third cut in the fourth minute of the song, I'm like, so this is, he really loves sure, this sure. group. So he's sure. digging in with the question that really matters to him. And somebody really understands, you know, Ice-T or whoever, like, Tribe Called Quest, whoever it may be. Well, you guys didn't have a Tribe. Did you have a Tribe Called Quest? Uh, we, had, um, we had cons. We had Buster. No, we, had, we didn't have them all together. We never got Q-Tip. Q-Tip spoke to uh, Combat so many times. They were 99% ready to do a show about 10 times. And uh, Q-Tip, uh, I guess he just didn't want to. From what I heard, he he was, you know, he's Q-Tip doesn't hold back. And he felt that on a professional level that it probably wasn't the best thing to do that because he felt if he went there, he would have probably, you know, laid, you know, some groundwork that would have mm. probably came back to him. Mm, mm. You know, you're, so, you're like you're talking about like the documentary type you know, stuff. Zulu Nation type shit, you know. Mm. All that, you know, whatever questions people may have, you know, but an episode together. That never happened. And the only person who ever stood us up was um, Grand Pooba. Really? And the crazy thing is there's this dude named Carlos from Classic Material. And that's one thing I loved about the Combat Jack show. Not only did I believe in it with all my heart, so many fucking people believe in that shit. Yeah. So this guy Carlos, he's like, he was cool with Grand Pooba, made the connection. We came to the studio. We were waiting. This dude was outside waiting for him, like outside the fucking like, building. And... He waited, he waited, we were there like an hour, an hour and a half, and we mean combat looked at each other like, yo, this guy's not coming. What's the best episode of all time? Um, I can't say one. I will say the D-Nice episode. D-Nice is first out your mouth. Wow. Um, it's a great episode. The reason why I say that for is so honest. Dude was crying 
mm-hmm. feel like he never it was therapeutic for him yeah. without him even knowing yeah. kind of understand these people didn't come and expect to feel that way no expect for a yeah. guy you know oh premium hand him a fucking tissue yeah like you know i grew up and you know and and and, and I mean, iced tea was amazing. You know, yes. getting Chuck D for four hours. Yeah, like we, it took us forever to get Chuck D, yeah. and then we couldn't get rid of him. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Was, you know, he was like three hours and fifty-seven minutes, and we yeah. were like, "Fuck!" Like his man was sleeping on the fucking floor. Keith Shockley was fucking twiddling his thumbs, but it was beautiful. Um, it's so many. I think the 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 biggest one fans like is um, uh, the uh, Dame Dash, the first one with him versus Just Blaze. I prefer the second one. The second one was powerful. The, first one's, the first one's powerful, but the second one, he's telling us, you know, how to do our business. I, I, I prefer that one. I mean, I think there's a, and then there's one that really sticks to my heart. It's actually, I think it's on YouTube if you want to see video. It's a therapy episode. Me and Combat and Dallas were going through some things, meaning like, uh, I think I was mad over money, which happens. Dallas was mad over, I don't know, he just stopped showing up sometimes. We were right. all in the room and we brought in a psychiatrist. And uh, she sat down there and literally, like, gave no fucks about, like, our feelings in the sense of, like, yo, what's your problem with him? And why don't you tell him how you feel? And, uh, you know, I was like, yo, combat, I look at you as, like, a big brother. And, you know, sometimes I'll give you advice or I'll give you an idea and you don't even get back to me. And she's like, why don't you get back to him? Does his opinion not matter? And Just Blaze was there, too, because he was a co-host for, uh, like, a, yeah. two years, I think. Yeah. Um, and he's like, no, nah, I kind of get that. So just to have, look, no matter what color I am. I never really went to therapy that much. I never, I, at one time my parents put me in there and I just like, I feel like I wasted their copay because I didn't talk. Right. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is I was like, we were both really honest about the issues we have combat growing up, not knowing his dad, you know, Dallas, uh, uh, uh having a, a fear of people leaving him. Um, you know, me speaking about, uh, um, um, you know, messing up and, 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 and upsetting my parents and not really, Taking like taking shortcuts that you know it just was look it, it was stuff that was so powerful and and that show forever remains something that I think uh, you know brought people together. I feel like um, I don't want to sound like uh, old shit, but it's like kind of like where it's like you meet up and you go play ball once a week, mm-hmm. shoot around. Some people still got a nice jump, but some people got a layup, <laughs> and some people just are good at ordering food when you go after <laughs> afterwards to eat. I mean, Scarface is incredible. David Banner was David incredible. Banner was incredible. Uh, oh, Corey Pegasus. Oh, oh yeah, episodes. yeah. That, that actually episode went viral. The oh, first my one. God. It was uh, Don Lemon was uh, uh, talking about it on the, the news. The Michael Wood the episode. Yes, yes. Um, God, what else? The Ice T. Ice T was incredible. Um, what else? I mean, there's so so many, so many, man. Um, I mean, just so many, man. And you know what? Like I said, I'm really proud. Anybody like who's listening to this episode. And uh, clicked on from the beginning and maybe thought that me and Torrey were going to argue. Man, that's in the fucking... Yeah. Oh, fuck. Listen, okay? Yeah. Do not call Torrey White Torrey anymore. Call him <laughs> fucking Torrey. Okay? Call him Torrey. You don't got no fucking pocket wait, square. Wait, did anybody... Did, did, did nobody actually... Did anybody actually do that? Oh, come on. You remember that, no? No, I remember what... I remember you saying it, but I don't no, they remember were, they it actually were, going anywhere. Well, they were. And then you met Torrey, the rapper, and... and Once. Okay. He's I mean, a cool kid. He's a cool yeah, kid. No, yeah, no, he's a nice guy. Just, I continue to stand on the point that there's no need for an adjective to define me from him. Of course, him. of course, of course. Nobody is going, which Torre are you talking about? Which actually is funny because I got at David Williams, the poker, he's the number two black poker player of all time. Yes, yes, I heard of him. Got at him on Twitter and was like, yo, I'm, I dig your style, I'm doing a podcast, please come do it. 
And he's like, and he said, the tour guide. Mm. Absolutely, would love to hang with you. Oh, that's the other tour, right? Yeah, well, yes. I'm but I didn't know that was his nickname. So he's thinking that's it's his show. Him. I'm serious, right? So David Williams is thinking it's him, and he's like looking at my resume. He's like, "Wow, this guy is a great writer and a rapper." Mm. But how come his rap stuff's not on his wiki page? Like mm. this is weird. But okay. And he, did he ever come? And, and of course, yeah, we did an epic episode. But he, when he got there, he's like, "Oh, you're, <laughs> you're not the same guy." I thought I was talking to that guy, and I'm talking That's to you. Classic. Great, no problem. But I mean, you know, the 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 exception that proves the rule. No, no, no shots to young Torre, but who who's out there going? Which Torre are you referring to? <laughs> so there's no need for an no, adjective. No, I know, I know. <laughs> the internet's the internet's ran with uh, their own story. But like I said, I know Combat is looking down on us tonight. Um, we send our prayers up to him. Indeed, he rests in in in, in paradise. Jamila Lemieux. Yeah, what's up with Jamila? Oh, that, that was, was a great, episode. great episode. She loved Combat. The Charmaine, the Charlemagne, the God episode. Charlemagne was incredible. Jordan Peele. What about DJ Envy talking about uh, cheating on his wife? How I haven't listened was. to yeah, DJ listen to Envy yet. It was very powerful. Um, I will listen to that. I haven't listened to uh, all of them, but I think I'm at like 90% listen to Joe Budden. Um, God, I got to get on with Envy. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's a couple years back. Even the, you know, even the Raekwon one. And Cardi. You guys did a good yeah, one with yeah, Cardi. Yeah. Angie Marr was good. Yep. I'm just, I mean like. Combat Man will always be forever etched in uh, the podcast uh, realm. Oh, yeah. You know? And listen, Internets, I want you to check out Torrey's show. Thank you. On iTunes, SoundCloud, all over podcast platforms. Keith Murray was good. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the most beautiful thing in the world. Let me ask you something. Torrey, it's at T-O-U-R-E on Instagram and Twitter? Yeah. Uh, at Torrey, T-O-U-R-E on Twitter. On Instagram, it's Torrey Show. Okay, Torrey Show. Internets, make sure you connect with Torrey. Um, what's next for you, bro? I'm working on a book with Rakim. Nice. Um, it's his creative memoir, so he's talking about his creativity, um, how he wrote rhymes, how he developed as a rhyme writer, uh, these sort of questions. Um, uh, excuse me. Uh-oh. Combat Jack Show. <laughs> Accidentally pressed the play on a new Combat Jack Show. Can't start with uh, how he wrote rhymes. Ninth so. Wonder. Um just say how he wrote rhymes. How he wrote, yeah, how he wrote rhymes, how he works on his music, uh, you know, the relationship with John Coltrane. So you get how he grew up, some of the street stuff, some of how he met his wife, but then also how he wrote, how he sees rhyme writing. This is probably the most in-depth discussion of how a writer, a great rhyme writer actually does it. I mean, like, you get inside the beautiful mind mm. and how he sees the world and how he does his thing. Um, I'm working on that, and I'm working on uh, a book about infidelity, mm. why married no. men cheat on their wives. Mm. 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 I interviewed 70 guys mm. and a few women. Hey, I may want to get in that book. <laughs> I was married once. Research is closed. I love you, but okay. I did. I interviewed a ton of people. We'll I'm not in, interviewing we'll anybody in the, else. We'll get in the next one. Um, Internets, listen, Torrey, first of all, like I said, um, I, I definitely want, again want to send prayers to your father. Thank you. I know uh, how much that, you know, 
so fresh. So, you know, and, and just keep on making them proud. I'm, I'm proud that we, um, we have overcome so many different things to be here sitting down, yes. chopping it up. TV soon? TV more TV soon? I would like to. You know, you, you, there's, you know I have an idea for television that will allow me to be more in control of the situation rather than doing what somebody else is telling me to do. So I'm working on, working on creating that. Okay. Internets, listen. The one and only Torre. Okay. Writer. TV personality. Almost entrepreneur. <laughs> Podcaster. Podcaster. Author. A friend of mine. Do not call him White Torre. Father. Father. Do not call him White Torre. Son, Torre. Husband. Just Torre. And my friend. Yes. See you next episode. Indeed. Cheer. Internets, if you enjoyed that episode, I want you to email me at thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. Again, that email is thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought. And listen, all my advertisers out there, all my big businesses, my small businesses, whoever, a friend, a store, you want to advertise on The Premium Peach Show? Email me at thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com, and let's get working. Okay, make sure you subscribe, rate, leave a comment on all streaming platforms of the podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend, and we'll see you next episode. Cheer.